Good to see everybody here this morning on this holiday. Uh, you, you know, folks, it, it's fun to honor our country because we have a great country, don't we? I think we honor the Lord first because I think this great country came from the Lord. You know, you've heard me say before, I, I think America is very unique in its history among nations. Uh, we're unique in our fight for freedom, uh, both for ourselves and for others. We have this kind of weird way of going in and conquering nations only to free them. Uh, going in and conquering them only to go in and, and make them stronger and better than they were before. And that, that, that came from a belief that started with our, the colonists back in the 1700s, this weird kind of strange thing where they believed people were actually born to be free. And not just free to do something. They big part of what they believed men and women were free to do was free to worship. Not freedom from worship, but freed to worship. And that pursuit for freedom produced a lot of great American heroes uh, during those 1700s and 1800s. We think of men like Patrick Henry on March 23rd, 1775, gave us that great speech. If we wish to be free, we must fight. I repeat it, sir, we must fight. An appeal to the arms and to the God of hosts is all that has left us. And look at this line. Our brothers are in the field. I want you to think about that because I want to make something out of that a little bit later. Our brothers are in the field. Why are we sitting in here idle? Why are we sitting in here doing nothing? Forbid it, Almighty God. I don't know what other course others are taking. I don't know what course other churches are taking. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And of course, that last line became so famous in American history. It said, you know what? People are worth fighting for. The freedom of people is worth fighting and dying for. And a little over what? A year later, July 4th. 1776, we did declare that independence. The American Revolution did begin and democracy, freedom, liberty was born. A great nation was born. And despite how the modern tellers of history lie to us over and over and over, the historical fact is that our Constitution and our founding fathers were built on biblical principles. You don't have to have a debate about whether they were a deist, a theist, really believers or not. Some of them were, some of them weren't. The Constitution of the United States was built on biblical principles. And that's a big part of why I believe this is such a great nation. But we weren't a perfect nation, were we? As a matter of fact, even as we were fighting to free people, we were enslaving them, weren't we? There was a contradiction in our birth. And it took us over a hundred years in our worst war, the Civil War, over 600,000 lives to rectify that contradiction. Isn't it interesting? America has always been so ready, so willing to sacrifice her sons and daughters for freedom, the protection and advancement of freedom on foreign soils, and yet we paid our highest price right here on our own soil. But whatever century you go to, America's history is one that is a fight for freedom. And that's what we celebrate today, isn't it? We come to church, 
We'll go home, we'll eat hot dogs, hamburgers, get sunburned, shoot fireworks, confetti, call it a day. You know, on this day in which we stop and remember the freedom that we have and how important it is that we do celebrate, that we do remember, that we do fight for political, for geographical, for physical freedom, I think it's appropriate that we use just a moment also to remember the much greater freedom, spiritual freedom. A great war was fought for that. A great cost was paid. Heaven paid that cost. The cost was the very Son of God. And the war was fought at the cross. But interesting thing, and this happens sometimes, while the war was won, battles still rage. Battles rage in a lost and dying world. Battles rage among believers. Battles rage in churches. Christ won the war that frees us from sin and death. He won the war that that frees us from trying to work our way to God, hoping to be enough, to do good enough, to, to get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. He won that war for us. But then we turn around and we enslave ourselves again. The battle rages on. Christ died that we might be free. Free from all that. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has liberated us unto freedom. Now look at that next line. It's a command. I bet it's a command you and I don't think a lot about. Oh, you know, don't lie, don't steal. We, we think about those commands. But there's a command on your life that says, stand firm in the in that freedom. Hold on to it. Proclaim it. And don't submit again. Now folks, God only gives us commands for things that are actually issues. Things that we actually need to be aware of. I need to be aware of. You need to be aware of. That we yoke ourselves to slavery again. And even worse, we yoke others to slavery. We have a command. Stand firm in that freedom. Stand firm in the grace of God. And make sure you're not drawn back in or that even worse, you are yoking others to slavery again. We've been freed. We've been freed. We are freely loved, freely forgiven, and freely accepted. And that comes because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Do you realize there is nothing about you, not inherent in your character, there's nothing about your efforts or works that moved God to freely do those works in your life. It was out of His love and out of His grace. And yet we have a tendency to say, I'm going to keep working at it. And I'm going to look down on others who are not working at it the same way I'm working at it. Gosh, the battle began right when, kind of like in America, right as we were freed, we turned around and enslaved. And we see this in Acts chapter 15. Turn with me this morning to that chapter. Acts chapter 15, there in your New Testament, get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right after that is Acts. Acts 15, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. And uh, if it's not right in front of you, I know somebody will hand it to you if you point or ask. Acts chapter 15, and I'm going to read a couple of passages here, so leave leave your Bible open, but I'm going to start with verses 1 and 2. Acts 15, 1 and 2. 
So men came down from Judea and began to teach their brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument, I'm going to suggest throughout this message we're still at war. Paul's certainly at war. Look at these words here. Had engaged them in serious argument and debate. They arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. At the end of chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have returned from a missionary journey and they're, they're reporting to the church all of the Gentiles who are coming to Christ. God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now remember, Gentiles... Now see, we tend to think of, well, there's Jews and there's Christians. At this point right here, it's just one and the same. There's Jewish believers. They're not really called Christians. As a matter of fact, we're reading about a church in Antioch, and that's the very first place that believers were called Christians. But there's Jewish believers. And now all of a sudden we have these Gentiles. You know what Gentiles are? They're outsiders. Outsiders. Wait a minute. God's accepting outsiders? And so the, the, these Jewish believers moved to say, uh-uh, no, no, no outsiders. No, some things have got to change here. You've got to be circumcised to really be saved. Now, you all know what circumcision is, don't you? Can't you imagine that the new members class was women and children only? I just see a lot of men saying, you know, honey, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. What are they doing in that tent over there? I tell you what, you go on ahead. You know what, folks? It's right here, right here in the very beginning of the church. There's a bad... I don't know if this is appropriate. There's a bad gene in our DNA. In the, in the birth of the church, in, in, the, in the DNA, there's a bad gene in which we have this tendency to turn inward. We kind of make ourselves about the insider. How do we protect our little covey? How do we protect our little inside group? And, and we kind of want to keep outsiders, well, keep them outside. They're not like us. They don't look like us. They don't dress like us. They don't smell like us. They don't know the rules as good as we know the rules. Keep them out there. And of course, the bigger issue that's happening here theologically is you've got believers saying, let me tell you something, what Jesus did on the Christ cross, man, that's wonderful, that's good, praise God for them, but it's not enough. Yeah, yeah, you need the cross, you need Jesus, we've got to add something to it. And that's where this debate, that's where this fight begins. You're seeing the beginning of a war here. Now, the church in Antioch can't figure it out. They fight, they debate, they talk about it, they can't get it figured out. So it says, they send them to Jerusalem. Send them back to headquarters. Y'all go back, talk to the apostles and the elders there in the church, and let's see if we can get this figured out. So that's exactly what they do. They get there to Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas are again saying, man, you're just not going to believe what is happening. God's opened this door to the Gentiles. They're coming to Christ and a Pharisee, now, you remember in the Gospels when we read the word Pharisee, that was always a, ooh, bad person. The Pharisees. Well, this is kind of interesting. This is a Pharisee who's a believer. It's a Pharisee, but they've come to faith in Christ. But you know, sometimes when we come to faith in Christ, we can't get that old stuff out of us right away, can we? 
And, and so as Paul and Barnabas are, are rejoicing and they're all excited about all these people coming to Christ, the Pharisee stands up and says, isn't this a called business meeting? You know, when, when, you're, when you're enslaved, you're, you're never rejoicing when people are freed. And when you see people have a hard time watching people get saved, rejoicing in people's salvation, all they can see is the rules they have or have not kept, you got a problem. And so this Pharisee jumps up and says, I, I got two questions. Number one, do they have to be circumcised? And number two, are we going to instruct them to obey the law of Moses? Look how Peter jumps up now in verse 10 and answers this. I'm sure they had mics at the end of each aisle and were going by Robert's Rules of Order. So Peter stands up in verse 10 and says, Why then are you now testing God? Well, I'm not testing God. This is just a fight among us and, and what rules we're going to keep and not. No, look what Peter says. Why are you testing God? By putting on these disciples next a yoke that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the... What's the word in your Bible? Yeah, it says that in mine too. The grace, the free gift of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are. What's that yoke of slavery that Peter's referring to? It's religion. He's, he's referring to religion here. Religion is, is man's way of trying to get to God. We decide who God is. We decide what makes Him happy. It might be walking across hot coals. It might be, you know, coming to church every Sunday. It might be giving alms to the poor. It might, I mean, we'll, we'll come up with a whole list. This is what God's going to accept. And then we build this religion around God accepting that. And you know, even when what we're doing Watch this, comes from God. Because we're not talking about a pagan religion. We're not talking about any religion out there in the world. We're talking about the Jewish faith. This comes from God. Circumcision comes from God. But even when we take things from God, we've got a way of centering it all around man. And making it all about man. And so when he's talking about a yoke of slavery, he's talking about the yoke of religion. Man-made rules. Trying to work ourselves to God. And Peter says, hey, it didn't work for us. Being circumcised, trying to obey all the rules. Did it change your heart, Mr. Pharisee? Did it deal with your guilt? Did it deal with the evil in your life? Did it make you more like God? Man, you know what? If, if you can't do it, and I can't do it, and our forefathers can't do it, then why are we asking these new disciples to jump into a load of rules? And again, don't underestimate what he's calling the yoke of slavery circumcision that is from God what we see folks is when we're really really interacting with grace it just really kind of messes up everything we understand about religion if you are really relating with grace you're not relating with religion and if you're consumed in religion you've not really grabbed a hold of grace now question does the fact that we're freely loved, freely accepted, freely forgiven, does that, does that mean obedience doesn't matter anymore? I mean, you, know, you can do anything you want now, man. God just forgiving you free. You want to drink? You want to cuss? You want to chew? You want to date girls that do? Go ahead. You're forgiven, man. 
I mean, that's kind of the part of the problem. I mean, folks, legalism does start. You've heard me say this before. It starts with a good idea. Wait a minute. We can't keep living in sin. We can't keep living like that. Does obedience matter in grace? Absolutely. Absolutely. Saved by grace. There are things we're supposed to do. And there's things we're not supposed to do. Watch how Peter answers this question in verse 19. He says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those who turn to God from among the Gentiles. You see there, Peter's addressing that bad gene, that DNA. Why are we the church making it hard on new converts? No, we're not going to make it difficult uh, for those who turn to God from among the Gentiles. But instead, we should write them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. As you go through this argument, they say, listen, do we need to be circumcised to be saved? Absolutely not. There's nothing we need to do to be saved. It is the grace of God that saves us. It frees us. But watch this, it doesn't free us to sin. It frees us from sin. I'm not freed up and forgiven to go out there and sin. I'm freed up and forgiven to enjoy obedience. Obedience works. Obedience is for us. And he gives them a, a list of things here in verse 20. That Obviously, that's not the whole law. That's not everything we do as a believer or don't do as a believer. I'm guessing what's going on here is that's a couple of issues that were going on back in Antioch. And he addresses them. He talks about all this stuff about food and idols and all that. As a matter of fact, if you're getting ready to go to Bible fellowship in the next hour, you're studying 1 Corinthians 8 this morning, which is the same issue about food and idols. And a real quick historical context here, the best restaurants in town were the pagan worship centers. They, 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 they would sacrifice these animals, and then they had kind of a storefront on their temple, and you would either go buy meat, or you would sit down and enjoy a meal there. You wanted a good steak, you'd go to a pagan worship place. Now Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 says, you know what, that's no problem. First of all, the pagans aren't real, or the idols are not real. And if you bow your head and acknowledge God for that food, enjoy it. It's all good, it's all clean. So what's being addressed here? It's not the issue of what the food does to you or doesn't do to you because you're now a believer. The issue is your witness. It becomes confusing. You know, I, I prayed to receive Christ last Friday and now here we are, it's next Tuesday and I'm right back in the same pagan worship temple that I was in last week. It, it could get confusing to me. You know, I just came to Christ, I'm learning, I'm growing. Is it okay to keep living as the world? Or as it's going to be addressed in 1 Corinthians 8, there's the weaker brother... You know, I'm free. I'm free to enjoy this. I'm free to eat this. But I don't want to cause my brother to stumble who maybe is not working yet in that freedom, doesn't understand that freedom. And so when he says abstain from these things, it's about your witness. Man, weaker, weaker believers are watching. A world is watching. We want to be very clear about who we belong to and what we're about. Be careful with that. Abstain from that. But as Peter's addressing this, He's not giving requirements to be saved. He's not giving a list of things that need to be done so you can experience salvation. He's giving things so you can enjoy the salvation Christ has already won for you. Folks, obedience is not working our way to heaven. Obedience is getting an early start on enjoying heaven-like living. Does that make sense? 
So, Acts 15, there it is. There's the war. I mean, it's been pretty clear. I know what to do now, don't you? The war's over, right? No, it goes on and on and on. Do you know this issue is addressed in almost every New Testament book? I'll give you an example. Galatians chapter 3. If you want to turn there, it's after Romans and Corinthians. Come to Galatians chapter 3. And here, listen if you hear warlike language. L- listen if you hear somebody that's battling. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians! Do you know what an accurate translation of that word is? You know what Paul's saying right here? He's saying, you idiots! I did, we're not supposed to call that each other. That's, that's the word right here. You idiots! Who has hypnotized you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit? Were you born again? Did the Holy Spirit come and live in your life? Did that happen by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, Paul knows what they're going to answer. Everybody there in the church in Galatia, oh no, Paul is by faith. We came to Christ by faith. They understand that. We came to Jesus by faith. Verse 3. Are you still an idiot then? After beginning with the Spirit, your coming to faith was a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why did the Holy Spirit do that? Because of grace. After beginning with the Spirit, do you think you now pick it up and complete it by the flesh? Folks, it never stops being about faith. When we, when we come to Christ for the very first time and ask Him to be our Savior, Lord, man, we're trusting in Jesus, He's the Son of God, that it's His work on the cross that, that cleanses me of sin and guilt. We're trusting that He rose again, showing and proving Himself to be the Son of God. That's our point of faith. But guess what? Eight years later, when I'm trying to grow in the Lord and I'm still fighting some sins over here and I'm trying to, to become like this over here, guess what? It's still by faith. I'm in this moment by faith. I am still trusting in who God is and who Christ is and how He's working in my life and what He's doing. And when I get all the way out here to heaven and I'm about to be glorified and I'm about to take on the perfect image of Christ, that's the end of the process. Guess what? I'm standing here trusting God. At the end of it all, you're going to have to just touch me and make me just like Jesus. It's still by faith. It never stops being about faith. It's never my works and my additions that make it that. It's by faith that that happens. And folks, the war rages today. It rages in the church. First of all, on a, on a church level. And folks, I, I don't make many comments like this, but I, and I don't want to sound judgmental. I think most churches are miscommunicating and still losing this battle. You know what Paul said in Galatians 1.8? If anybody steers you wrong, if anybody gives a message that in any way is leading people back to works, you know what he says? Let them be cursed! It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Those are fighting words. And yet, folks, I think you can go to many churches across the United States of America and when you walk out of that place, you're going to be led to believe it's your efforts, it's your cleaning up, it's your obedience that is going to make you right with God. And if you don't do this and if you don't do that, you're out. You're out. Paul says, let you be cursed. The only way I'm concerned that is that's not a true church anymore. We've got denominations and churches that, that teach you have to be baptized to be saved. Now, we're Baptists, aren't we? I believe in baptism. 
I don't believe you can significantly walk with Christ without being baptized. That's the first place of obedience. Do you know that every time in the book of Acts it talks about baptism or it talks about people coming to Christ, you know what almost always the next word you see is? Immediately. Immediately what? Immediately they were baptized. Oh, ba- baptism is extremely significant to our obedience and to our walk with Christ. But baptism doesn't bring me into that walk. Baptism doesn't bring me into that relationship. Christ alone brings us in that. You got, you got, you've got as a part of their theology churches that teach you have to be baptized to be saved. You have to go through the church to be saved. You have to go through these rites and rituals and perform these functions to be saved. And then you got other churches down here, they'll say, oh no, it's all by grace. But then you got down here and you got a long list of rules to keep. And if you don't keep those rules, you're not in, you're out. Folks, I think I could say maybe in most churches, people are still led to believe it's my activity and it's my work. No, it's not. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that you are saved. Amen? Now, folks, watch this. Watch this. Okay? Because the New Testament isn't saying that so that you and I get a warm fuzzy and a liver quiver. It's not just a big, ooh, big hug team moment. Okay? It tells us to do something about it. Stand firm in that grace. Preach it. Proclaim it. Protect it. Go to war over it. So we've watched a war this morning. You're sitting there thinking, well, now, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm really thinking is it's July 4th, he needed a passage with freedom, and this just worked out good. But I mean, okay, saved by grace, I believe that, Pastor, can I go get my hot dog? No, there's, there's a command there. I think there's some things we should do in light of a war going on. Number one, we're watching a war. What did, what did Patrick Henry say? Our brothers, lost people still enslaved to sin and death, Our brothers, people who've come to Christ but are in a church that is teaching them something that they should be cursed for. Our brothers are in the field. Why are we sitting in here idle? We need to, number one, stand firm in the truth. You know what that means? Very simply, it means day in and day out of my life, I am reminding myself everything I have. And folks, I have the wealth of heaven. I have the wealth of heaven. I've been adopted as a child of God and I'm inheriting it all. I've got God's guidance. I've got His leadership. I've got His forgiveness. I've got His presence. I've got all of this because of His grace. He freely chose to love me. I'm going to stand firm in that by remembering every day I have what I have because of Jesus. You know, you can test yourself. You you can test yourself to see if you're in grace. If you've really interacted with grace, you know what? There's almost always going to be a spirit of humility and gratitude. I wonder how many lost people think if you go to church, you're going to find this. Isn't that kind of the way the church is? Hmm. You don't dress right. You don't act right. You don't keep the rules. You're a bad God doesn't love you. Not like you are. You go out on the street today and interview people, that'd be their average attitude of the church. 
then that can't possibly be the church because the church is made up of people who've received grace and people who've received grace are overwhelmed that they're loved and forgiven. It humbles them. When they see a lost person that's really acting lost, they can't help but think, but for the grace of God, there go I. And they hurt for people who have not yet received that grace. So there's a, just a gratefulness that I've been saved, a, a humility and a desire to see that given to others. So number one, we stand firm in it. Number two, we work hard to not let our, our walk with Christ become a list of do's and don'ts. Isn't that kind of how the world sees the church? Well, you go to that church where they don't do this and this and this. Or you go to the church where you have to do this and this. And this. Now folks, let me tell you something. As a follower of Christ, there's absolutely, there are things I am not going to do. And if I do them, I should feel bad about it. I should confess it as sin and wrong. And as a believer of Christ, there are things I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do. Those are wrong. And if I do them, I'm going to confess it as sin. There are things we do and there are things we don't do. But that shouldn't be how we're defined. I don't want a lost and dying world to look at me and say, oh, there goes a person who doesn't do one, two, three. I want lost people that are getting to know me to look at me and say, you know, I think that guy actually knows Jesus. I mean, looking at him, I think Jesus might actually be a real person. What they should see in us is a relationship. A relationship, a gift. Do we have a list of do's and don'ts? Absolutely. Is that what we're defined by? No. We're defined by the relationship we have with Christ. The last thing we should do, folks, is we should hold out grace. Be willing to go to war. Why sit we here idle? We need to carry the gospel to a lost and dying world, to an enslaved world. And in America, many of those enslaved people are sitting in a church somewhere today. We need to carry grace. We need to learn to witness. Soldiers have to. You know, soldiers say there's a million different jobs in today's army. Every one of them has to shoot a rifle. There's no such thing as being a soldier without somewhere along the way learning to shoot a rifle. Guess what? Today's church, the Holy Spirit gifts us in all kinds of ways. We've got people gifted right behind that wall right there that are running media and sound and video for us right now. We've got people gifted back there with children. We've got people gifted back there out there in the parking lot on a hot day. They're gifted with serving. We've got all kinds of ways. But every soldier in this army has to witness Every soldier in this army has to be able to share that gospel. Why? Because we're at war. It's not a game. It's not a game. This isn't about which church is the biggest or what our numbers are. People are dying and going to hell. And there are believers who've come to grace, but they'll never enjoy a single moment of it because they're still enslaved to rules. We've been freed by the grace of God. And we are to carry that freedom. I think we should fight for political Physical, geographical freedom. I think it's worth fighting for that. But whether we have that freedom or don't have that freedom, it's only temporary. But people who die in the spiritual battle for freedom, that's forever. That's the war of all wars. We cannot sit here idle. Our brothers are in the field. Carry the gospel. Let's pray.
Father, we come before you this morning and we are grateful for the United States of America. Thank you for this land, this unique experiment in human history where people have been given freedom and the, the freedom to worship. And yes, that does mean the freedom to worship false gods. That does mean the freedom to worship nothing. But Lord, every one of us got in a car today and drove here and there was no fear of losing our job. There was no fear of imprisonment. There was no fear of death. We don't have anybody watching the doors uh, fearful of the police arriving at any moment. And yet, our brothers and sisters in Christ are living that way right now in other parts of the world. Lord, we get up and decide whether we're going based not on police or being arrested. We get up and decide whether we've got milk in the refrigerator or not. Lord, I'm fearful we've grown lazy in our freedom. Lazy as Americans, we've grown lazy as Christians. God, I ask that you'd forgive this land of her sins. There are many sins we've not only accepted, we promote them. We promote them as a good way to live. God, would you cleanse us and forgive us of that? God, I lift up to you our, our leaders at the, at the local, at the state, at the federal level. God, I pray that you'd bless them with a knowledge of you and your principles. And that they would again see a government guided by you and your word. God, I pray for your blessing, your protection on this land. And God, why we the church do have freedom. And I pray we don't ever take that for granted. I'm fearful we already have. While we have the freedom, may we go carry on the battle. May we carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we carry a message of grace in how we live, in how we treat each other, and in how we share the gospel. God, for every person in this room, would you show us somebody this week in our neighborhood, at the pool, at work, at the store. God, show us somebody we need to share grace with. And may we be faithful because we are so thankful and so humbled. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.